second episode of the Phil in Exile podcast, a show in which I think and talk about things that you nice people have sent to me. So today's topic is going to be imposter syndrome. That's right. Imposter syndrome. But first, uh, a word from our sponsor. No, we don't have any sponsors. I, who would sponsor this? I don't know. At this point, like, I don't know. Adult diapers, maybe, is is kind of my vibe. I don't know. Um, no sponsors. Just me doing this out of my basement. Um, yeah, first, I just hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I hope it was satisfactory. I hope you enjoyed uh, your holiday, if you're in a country or of a mindset to celebrate Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time. I hope you ate the, the requisite foods that said Thanksgiving to you. We did not eat all of the same things. We decided not to do mashed potatoes or sweet potato casserole. And it's weird because it's it's as if I didn't really have Thanksgiving dinner. I, I mean, what we ate was delicious, but I think you have to have mashed things uh, covered in gravy in order for it to really register that it's Thanksgiving. I don't know. I didn't feel like I got it, so I'm probably going to have to make a batch of mashed potatoes sometime soon, and then I'll go, okay, now I can be thankful. But uh, we saw some friends. It was great. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to do a little relaxing. Went down to the Christmas market, as I said. It's a, kind of a thing. Went down, had some glue vine and a ribacucan, and uh, it was delicious. It was fantastic. Um, you know, lovely, lovely time. It is, uh, it's, it started snowing here in Germany and you got to understand for me, snow, I have, I have such a strange response because first of all, it snows and they all just act like it's no big deal. You know, they're just walking around and it's snowing and I, you know, I'm still like a, a four-year-old who sees snowflakes and is like, oh, snow, because I grew up, I spent the vast majority of my life in, in, in Texas and in snow is just not something that happened much there. You just didn't, I mean, I can probably count the number of times we got real snow. I mean, I lived there, gosh, over 40 years. And I think maybe 10 times we got a, something that you could call a true snow. I mean, we, flurries don't count. I'm talking about like snow laid down on the ground. No, we, we had a different thing in Texas. What we would do is, is once a year, usually right after it had been unseasonably hot, like, you know, 87 degrees in January kind of thing you'd have overnight or something. It would, it would drop 60 degrees and just like fast and a blue norther would come in and the turbulence and the, the collision of cold air and hot air and all that we'd have freezing rain and sleet and it would just pour over the city and just put a sheet of ice over everything. And, and we can't drive in, in anything nasty in, in Dallas. And, we would get covered in, in ice. They would cripple the city. Um, you know, we'd have rolling power outages because I think the Texas power grid is well documented now as being super awesome. And, uh, <clears throat> or, or you'd get the ice that would get on your branches or your trees and weigh them down and they'd crack and break and fall onto a power line and break the power line. You lost power that way and your house gets down to 40 degrees indoors. Yep. That happened to me. Anyhow, you could just come to expect that you were probably going to have this sort of two to three day ice event. And that was, that was our equivalent of, of, of winter weather. We got really excited about that usually because it meant school was canceled. And uh, you know, the kids like that, I was a teacher, my wife and I were teachers. So that was great. We loved getting the day off, but here it just, it's just snowing willy nilly. Like it's no big deal. 
And I, I know people are like, hey, dum-dum, you live uh, on the edge of the Black Forest in, in Germany. It's going to snow. I know, but it's just freaking me out. It's freaking me out. I, it's beautiful. But I, I also have some trepidation because, okay, sidewalks are a thing here in Germany. Uh, we're renting a, a lovely house in a, in a nice little neighborhood in Kaiserslautern. And um, we've got this spot and, and we, we found out that, that the sidewalks are your responsibility. Now, I, I think most people would go, well, yeah, of course. No, no, no. Like officially on the, on the books legally, this is my problem. The sidewalks to the point that if somebody were to slip and on my sidewalk, they could sue me for like to pay their medical bills. Like it's a big deal. And, and so it was written in my contract. My landlord was like, you got to keep the sidewalks clear. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now I just, there's a, there's a precision to German thinking. That's a little different than mine. Uh, Because when he said, keep the sidewalks clear, you know, I had one thing in mind. And as it turns out, there's a whole other definition of sidewalks clear here in Germany that I was sort of unprepared for. Um, the the first thing were the leaves falling and and the leaves we we live in a corner house of course so we've got you know an an l-shaped sidewalk we've got to deal with we've got double the sidewalk of a lot of people and then we have this house where the yard is sort of it is it is i mean it's beautiful to behold but it is filled with trees that drop their what is, is it called deciduous is that what is that the word deciduous trees where they man i'm like reaching into like fourth grade fourth grade science class. Is it deciduous? I think it's deciduous because I think I, I, I remember teaching myself that, you know, they decide to drop their leaves every year. Well, I have the indeciduous trees because they're like, I think I'll drop some leaves today. No, not too many. Hold on. Wait, no, hold on. Wait, I don't know. Maybe a few. Uh, let's drop them all. No, I want to hold on to some, some, uh, a couple more. Like that's how the trees are dropping their leaves. So we got a call. All right. I, I think a few leaves on the on the sidewalk is not a big deal. We get a call last week. Our landlord calls and says someone called and complained to him that our stretch of sidewalk has more leaves than anyone else's in the neighborhood. Which was not untrue, but can I just tell you that it wasn't like it was a million leaves and nobody else has a single leaf. Like, I don't know how they do it. It's like elves that come out at night. There's not a leaf in front of anybody's house. And I don't know where they have the time to do it. I I have noticed that many of them don't have deciduous trees right up against their sidewalks. They thought that one through, but our landlords like these trees and you know, they're not the ones having to clean them up. So I'm stuck with the, with the trees on the sidewalk, but nobody has leaves. They, they, they magically, there are no leaves going around our street, but ours has a few. Okay. Not a lot. I mean, I don't know. I'm probably not a good one to ask because if I'm honest, I can't stand yard and landscape work. It does. It brings me no satisfaction. It brings me no joy. I know people who love to go out and like, you know, weed and trim and, and, and prune and do the things in the yard. And it brings them great satisfaction. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. It does nothing for me. It makes me itchy. I, my allergies flare up and, and then it's just, it's to me, it's the ultimate like in Sisyphus. 
right? The Sisyphean idea, like, you know, Sisyphus roll the rock up the hill. It takes 24 hours, then boom, he's cursed to do it again every day for eternity. I feel like yard work is that. Like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to mow that lawn and guess what? Guess what? It's going to need it again. You're going to trim those shrubs. They're going to need it again. You're going to pull that weed. Guess what's coming back next week? Another week. It just, it, there's, there's a certain Sisyphean futility that, that I, I just can't, I can't wrap my head around and I don't find the, the joy in it. And so taking care of the, the, the yard has never been one of my favorites. So somebody called him and said, Hey, the, the Americans, uh, they have more leaves than anybody else. And I don't know if these people, again, I guess these people, they go out with tweezers and pluck every leaf out of every crevice on the side. I don't, they have pristine, I'll hand it to them. They have pristine sidewalks. So I, but I, I'm a little bit more of a, br a blunt tool. So I went to the local hardware store and I got one of these blower suckers. You know what I'm talking about? This, it does both. And, um, it'll like, you can blow the leaves, but you can't really do that. Cause if you just blow them into the street, they don't like that either. They don't want a bunch of leaves in the gutter. They want the leaves gone. And you know, raking the leaves is one thing, it, it, but then you have to take all the leaves down to the dump, which I've done many times. And that gets a little cumbersome because you got to drive the leaves down to the dump. And I one day did like four trips to the dump when we did a big clean of the yard. Anyhow, I get a blower sucker and I'm like, this is, you know, it doesn't, doesn't suck up a lot. The little bag doesn't hold a lot, but it'll, if I keep on it, it'll, it'll suck up the leaves. So I go out with my sucker and I'm sucking the leaves up. I'm sucking the leaves up and, and the, I, I'm walking around this sort of, you know, again, it's sort of an L shape. We're on the corner and I'm sucking up the leaves and I'm having to go dump it out and then do it again. And I get around the corner. I make it all the way around to the edge of the next property. And, and I turn around and, and that stupid of those trees, the indeciduous trees have done it again. I, I just came from there. I literally was just there five minutes ago and now there's new leaves. I, I feel like, I feel like it's spiteful on the part of the trees. I, I don't know. Maybe these are like Lord of the Ring trees and they don't like me. I don't know, but it, it feels, it feels very, uh, very, very much like an attack on me, on me, on the part of the trees. And so, you know, I come back and okay, I'll suck these leaves up and again, see the Sisyphus vibe. I'm just rolling the rock up the hill just to roll it in. I, I fantasize about putting a ladder up and actually just climbing up on the ladder with the, with the sucker and just putting it up to the tree and sucking the last leaves off the tree. Like I'll show you. So I thought, okay. Uh, anyhow, so I'm trying to keep on top of the leaves. That's enough of a stressor, but then it decides it's going to snow and snow is an even bigger issue here in Germany because uh, you got to you got to keep the snow swept off your your sidewalks, and you got to put down some sort of grit. I you know some places allow salt, some places don't. You know should you use rock salt? Should you use what? Anyhow, I didn't have any. It was Sunday. Everything's closed on Sunday, so I'm sitting there Sunday. I couldn't sleep Sunday night because I was panicked about what if it snows, and I don't have the salts to put on the thing, and I don't have a good uh, broom for brushing snow and. So, you know, I've got, I've got the gaze of the other. So now I've got Sartre. I have Camus and Sisyphus. Now I've got Sartre and the, and the gaze of the other looking at me and sizing me up, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to always be a problem in their eyes. So this, you see how my sidewalks have become an existential nightmare. Like I, I, I want to like enjoy this sort of wonderland of snow, but then I'm like, oh man. 
Am I going to be the only one again who who doesn't have the proper sidewalk that doesn't meet specifications? So, whew, so far the snow hasn't really stuck. I I haven't had to do much sweeping, but that's that's where I'm living on the fear and dread of sidewalks. Like my my sidewalk existential anxiety is kind of cooking high right now. But uh that's been my preoccupation this week is is getting prepared uh to to keep my sidewalks clean because apparently that's what defines whether you are a good person or not right now. Anyhow, that's that's my minor obsession. Uh everybody's got to have something to obsess about, I guess, or at least people like me do. And that's mine. But but that's not really why we're here cuz we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Very exciting. Imposter syndrome. Are you familiar with imposter syndrome? This is this is the idea that you uh, are in a position that you by all rights should be that you're qualified or capable or you you should belong and yet you don't because environmentally you're made to feel like you don't belong here that's the idea of imposter syndrome so my friend jay she sent me this this uh this video it was a commencement speech uh by this woman uh, about imposter syndrome particularly about women in in technical industries and um yeah this is pretty well well documented stuff and uh and the 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 commencement speech was really aimed more at the ladies in the crowd. So my friend Jay, her question was, you know, here's the speech, but you know, it's kind of aimed at women. Do, do men feel imposter syndrome? She said, I'm just curious if you have uh, feel the same thing. And, and <laughs> I got to give bonus points to, to Jay. She has a good vocabulary. She said, does imposter syndrome enfeeble men as well? And I just got all tingly uh, with the use of the word enfeeble. I'm going to, I think we need to f- find ways to drop it. Everybody, your assignment, your homework is to figure out a way to drop the word enfeeble into a conversation at some point in the next 24 hours. Okay. There's going to be a quiz. So work on that. Um, <laughs> I had a former student ask me about the podcast. She said, is there going to be, are there going to be quizzes over the podcast? I'm, I was sort of notorious for my quizzes. That'll be a, a conversation for another day. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, unless my, my former students who are listening have PTSD over it. Anyhow, uh, enfeebled. Do, do, does imposter syndrome enfeeble men? Well, it's funny because I've gotten a lot of feedback and questions and topics to explore, and, and I'm really enjoying going through these. And this isn't the first one that sort of asks about the the, the men and women divide. The, like, do the men experience this the same way as women experience? You know, whatever it is. And 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 uh, the short answer is, yeah, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. I and I I can tell you from my own experience how this worked um, because I am a dude. And um, when I came to teaching, I came to teaching sort of through the side door. I, I, when I was, when I was in college, I thought, I I think I might become a teacher. I, I was getting a degree in literature again, just because of all the money and babes that got me. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a teacher. You know, I was really, I was banking on writing a great, the great American novel. Um, turns out, <laughs> turns out you have to be pretty creative and good at writing to write a great novel. And, uh, well, yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought to myself, I'll, I'll, I'll become a teacher. But then I got sidetracked. I, I, I went to seminary for my master's degree and then I ended up working in churches. I got, I got this like 20 year, 
sidetracked, but somewhere in there, someone asked me to teach. They, they could tell that I kind of had the skill set and they said, hey, would you come teach part-time, teach a class here, teach a class there? And I got to where I fell in love with teaching and I realized, oh my gosh, I'd kind of forgotten because I got sidetracked for all those years. This was the original plan was to teach and I love it so much. It's so much fun being in a classroom and teaching. So when I sort of switched careers, realized I want, that's what I really wanted to do with my day. I, I was trying to get a job, but because I had been always kind of like, oh, I think I'll do that, but then ended up not doing it. I didn't have the same credentials as everybody else. Like I hadn't taken the education courses in college. These, these uh, courses that have these, you know, very technical names about like pedagogy. Um, you know, it, it was, it was important um to people that you have these classes. Now, I think, you know, a pause here, uh, especially when it comes to teaching. Um, uh oh, I'm looking at my window. It's snowing again. Now, now my panic, my dread is coming in again because I'm worried about the, the sidewalks, but that's okay. I'm going to fight through. Um, you know, it's the, this idea that with teaching, because you have expertise in a field, because you have knowledge of something, intimate knowledge of something, Maybe you've, you've, you've been a, a practitioner of something for a long time. Just because you have those skills doesn't mean you can teach other people. Teaching in and of itself is a, is a specific skill set. Teaching is a, is a thing that you can do or, or not do. I think you can learn to do it better. But it, just because you can do another thing doesn't mean you can teach people how to do that thing. So, you know, we have to just pause there and say, just because somebody took education courses... There are plenty of people who graduated with education degrees who run for the hills after a year of teaching because they realize I can't teach. Um, and, and you know, God have mercy on their souls. But in my case, I, I could teach and I'd been doing it in various forms. I just didn't have the credentials. And I would later go back and get certified and everything else. But but I ended up teaching and and I was I was applying for a job. And this is one of my favorite things. Well, I was, I would notice people would throw around terms. I didn't, I didn't always know. Like I knew how to do things. I just didn't always know what everything was called. And I remember one time I was walking around a school on a tour. I was applying to work at the school and I, I, I was, I was walking around. Somebody was giving me a tour of the school and I noticed in a lot of the classrooms, they had these big tables instead of like rows of desks. And, uh, and I remember I just said to the to the tour guide at one point, I was like, I just love the tables. I, uh, you know, I, I said, this arrangement's great. And and she said, she said, oh, yes, we have we have Harkness tables in many of our classrooms. And I remember thinking, oh, really? Oh, because I didn't know what a Harkness table was. You know, like I, I kind of squinted and looked and thought, OK, I know what a table. I know the word table and that looks like a table. It sure, you know, if it, it, it really reminds me of a table, but I don't know what this Harkness thing is. But I, and here's where the imposter part comes in. So I was terrified to go, what on earth is a Harkness table? So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you what a Harkness table is. You're going to love it. Harkness table. If you go look up what a Harkness table is, a Harkness table, wait for it, it's a table. You, it's a table. If you want to get more specific about it, it, the reason it's called a Harkness table is because 
Edward Harkness in uh, 19... I think it was 1930-ish, something like that. He, he, was a, he was a rich oil guy, and he, uh, he donated a bunch of money to uh, Phillips Exeter Academy and, and with the view in mind of improving education, and they bought these tables. They they had the or they had them built or whatever, but they 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 got these tables, the Harkness tables. They named them Harkness tables after the guy who donated the money. It's not like Mr. Harkness designed the table per se. He he was suggesting that education you know have a revolution and that it be more equitable in the classroom. But what it turned into was the Harkness. I mean, it's like naming rights. You know, it's like naming a building. You know, if I was a gazillionaire and I gave a bunch of money to a school and you know said this is for the uh, science building. You know, that didn't, it doesn't mean I in, am a scientist, because let me assure you, I'm not. <laughs> After the whole deciduous tree debacle of 10 minutes ago. Anyhow, the, the, the thing is, it's a, heart, a Harkness table is just a table. The, the thought behind a Harkness table is that it's, it's oval, typically. It's oval. The ideal Harkness scenario, see if any of these things sound familiar, <laughs> is that it's oval. Uh, you put 12 people plus the teacher and you, you ha it's a discussion-based class. What's funny is if you go do research about this, you'll, you'll see that people basically say, well, it's kind of, it's a riff on a Socratic method. So it's not like, it's not like Mr. Harkness or the Harkness table invented discussion. It's not like in 1930, people went, by Jove, we should let other people talk in class. I can't believe, it's not. And, and it's also not like we just figured out that tables are handy for talking, right? That maybe a table's an upgrade over a, a, a row of seats. Like, I find it easier to have a free-flowing discussion when I'm around a table than if I'm looking at the back of someone's head in a row of desks. Like, it, there's nothing magical about the Harkness here. He just gave the money for them to buy some tables. And, and, and I guess because... Maybe Exeter was one of the first places to, and you know, do this. They still on their website will talk about this, the Harkness method and the Harkness tables, and it's at the core of who they are, you know. But I'm just like, wait, wait a minute. This is a little bit of Emperor's New Clothes here, because the idea of a dialogue or discussion-based class, <clears throat> Socrates kind of knocked that one out of the park. Now, you know, you'll read people that say, well, the difference is the Harkness method is a very encouraging method where everyone's encouraged to participate. You know, and I do imagine sometimes when I read, you know, <laughs> the Plato's Republic and Socrates, I imagine there are guys who are like, I'm not going to say anything because Socrates is going to, he's going to like chop my head off because did you see what he did to the last guy? Like, okay, maybe, maybe Socrates wasn't always the most encouraging teacher, but the idea of a discussion-based class is not a new one. Having 12 people plus a teacher, gosh, where have I heard that? <clears throat> Jesus. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, what part of this is new? A table. And, it, you know, if, if it was like that the table did something different, okay, it's oval. The idea being that since it's oval, there's no true head to the table. By the way, having taught at one for over a decade, that's not entirely true. But but I'll give you that one. But that's fine. I, I, but I, I'm like, it would be funny. Like if somebody walks in and they sit down to eat their lunch at the table, I mean, does the teacher go, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Steve, you, you can't eat here. That's a Harkness table. Um, it's specially designed for discussion and I need you to take your sandwich out. Um, we can't have that here. You know, 
or 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 conversely, you know, have you ever been sitting around at a dining table, like maybe after dinner, and you're all talking and having a good time, and you realize the discussion's rolling, and you're like, guys, 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 we've got to stop. This isn't a Harkness table. This is a dining table. I'm sorry. I hate to do it, but we need to. Can we stop, please? I mean, I I don't know. Maybe. I'll, I'll tell you what, before Christmas, I'll get a Harkness table in the basement so that we can move after dinner. Well, I mean, like, just stop and think about how preposterous that is. Of course, it's easy to talk around a table. Like, duh, let, that's kind of the point. It's a good thing. It makes conversation easier. But Harkness table. It's, we, we have Harkness tables, everyone. We have Harkness tables here. I mean, if the table did something unique to a classroom, like if it had like the James Bond ejector seat so that like when, when you know, Steve is, I, I, Steve is always my go-to name. To anyone named Steve, it's nothing personal. I just, I, I pick the name Steve. It's what I go to for my sort of John Doe person. But, you know, if Steve's being a bonehead or dominating conversation or being rude or not constructive, if I could hit a button and Steve launches out of the class... So then I'd be like, well, that's a Harkness table, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is a Harkness table at work because we were we didn't want him to ruin the conversation. So I just hit this button and Steve disappeared. Like, okay. But the truth is a Harkness table is just it's a table. It's just it's a table, ladies and gentlemen. And and education is full of this, as I imagine many other industries are. They love their jargon. They love their insider language. And, and, and here's the thing, back to imposter syndrome. Why is it that we love that? Like, why did Harkness take a method that was, that's been around for thousands of years and, and, and take something as simple as a table? Like, it's a pretty good sleight of hand they pulled. Why did they take that and, and, and do that in the first place? I'll tell you why. Because it said, we're better than you. You should send your kid here. They're, they are a for-profit. Well, maybe they're non-profit, but that's a whole other thing. But, I mean... They charge tuition, let's put it that way, right? <laughs> They're not a charity. They charge tuition. So what are they trying to do? They want you to send your kid there and write a big fat check. And they go, well, we have the, we have the Harkness tables here. We have the Harkness method. Oh, you mean you let people talk in class around a table? Surely no one's thought of that before. And I, and I get the whole rows of desks and things that had become a little bit of a a rigid form, and, and maybe this was a little bit of a revolution, but it's not like it had never been thought of before. But Exeter took that and went, we're going to market the heck out of this, and we're going to create an us-them superiority situation. Aha, there it is. There's the piece. Where does, where does imposter syndrome come from? When you have a scenario where somebody creates something, some system that says, oh, you don't know this. You don't have this. Oh, you don't belong. You're not, you're not part of the cool kids. Like, like, remember on the playground when you were little and somebody would learn a secret about somebody and they'd walk around going, I know something you don't know. I know something you don't know. Well, I, the imposter syndrome is just the 40 year old version of that. You know, when, when, when somebody says something and you go, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what a heart and stable. Oh, oh, wow. You don't, you don't know about the Harkness tables? Uh, the person, by the way, on the on my tour didn't do that. They weren't a jerk about it. I just was, of course, I didn't say anything. Because I, this, the very fact that I was afraid to say, oh, no, I don't know what Harkness has to do with anything. You know, I don't know what that means. Implies that I was afraid of being considered an imposter. 
And and again, this 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 happened time and time and time and time again. Like I said, I went on and I got my credentials and I got certified and I took all the classes so that I heard all that stuff. And you know, I realized nothing I learned in all of those classes and all that certification, I, I there was nothing that I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea about that. I was doing all the things. I just didn't always know what everything was called. Again, if you know how to teach, you kind of know how to teach. I just didn't know the terminology for every single piece. Actually, by the time I got my certification, I knew most of it just because I'd been sitting in meetings where people would drop terms and I'd go, oh boy, I better look that up later on Google. What is that? And this happened over and over and over again. And this is the problem. If you're going to be in a scenario where people are going to sit around and, and, and are insecure enough that they want to make sure you know, I know something you don't know. So if you've got people, this is where imposter syndrome comes from. And does it enfeeble men? Yeah, it's terrifying to everybody. And, and of course, it makes perfect sense that it, 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 any group who is already in a minority, whether it's women in a certain field or an ethnic minority somewhere, like it, it, obviously it seems self-evident to me that you're already then in a position where you're sort of at a disadvantage if someone were to play this card. But, but the fact of the matter is, is, is that you know, anyone anywhere can, can get, I think, dinged by this imposter syndrome. I think it can hit anybody. And, and, and the, the, what's the solution? I, it's funny the the speech that my friend Jay sent me, her, her sort of thesis was, um, you know, it's often seen as the, the, the person who feels imposter syndrome to just stop feeling it, just stop feeling it. But she was making the argument that no, it needs to stop on the other side, the people who are creating this. And I don't disagree that that is ideal, but you know, I, I, I took a lot of philosophy classes and you know, the is versus the ought, um, is kind of at play here. Like I know what is and what ought to happen. I understand that. But I think one of the problems that we have is that we, we have to think to ourselves, okay, you know, like I, I understand that, it, that pickpockets have a problem. They, they have an issue. That's really, they have a problem with self-control. And I can say, well, I'm not going to change anything about my behavior because, because I, the pickpocket is in the wrong here. He shouldn't be stealing. He should have chosen better. He should have had a better, better path in life. And he should make a choice to do something other than steal from people on the subway. You're right. It is their problem and they are the ones in the wrong. And you shouldn't, quote, have to do anything about that. But I'll tell you what, if I'm going on the subway, I'm, I'm not going to just like have my, my money hanging out. Because the fact of the matter is, is I, I'm aware that that person may see also human nature conversation from last week. You know, that person may not want to do the right thing. So I think it's sort of a both and. I think the way I look at it is if I make an effort to get myself in the door and I, and I have the strength and the, the presence of mind to stick around and endure some of the really stupid childish humiliations of imposter syndrome being imposed on you, Right. If I can, if I can endure that and get to the point, then maybe one day I'm leading the tour. Again, this person didn't make me feel bad, but, but if I'm leading a tour and I say, yeah, we've got Harkness table, I could say, well, technically they're called Harkness tables, but it, they're just tables for discussion. Um, don't worry about the whole Harkness thing. It's completely unimportant, but it's, isn't it great that we have discussion tables? Like stop and think about it. it 
there's a way to deliver the message. I'm all for technical accuracy in our language, but I can deliver it in a way that says, I want to keep you out. I want to hold you back and say, oh, you don't know what this is? You, you don't know about this? Or I could draw you in and go, hey, I know this is it's sort of a stupid snooty thing, but they're called Harkness Tables, whatever. Just thought I'd let you know. So if you hear somebody using it, that's what they're talking about. Like, there's a way. But what you have to do is, is not be trying to create a situation. You have to not be trying to create a, situ- a situation where you have control over another person. That's really the trick, isn't it? I don't want to dominate you. I want to bring you in. I, 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 no imposters here. I mean, there are, there are, there are imposters. Like imposter syndrome is different from actually being an imposter. And I think we've, we know what that's about. Like I've, I've been there when, you know, somebody's like, do you know how to X, Y, Z? And I'm like, cause I want the job. Oh, sh- <laughs> yeah. of course I know how to do web design goes home. How to web design for beginners. You know, like, <laughs> there is there is being an imposter, but imposter syndrome is not that. Imposter syndrome is when you have every right to be there, you have every qualification to be there, but somebody's making you feel like you don't. And while it is their problem, the only way I see to get around that is for me to stick with it, to get in the door, and then begin to replace those people who are jerks. So that I can then, for the next person who comes in, say, hey, come in, and you're new here. And here's the secret handshake or here's the special code to get into the, you know, the faculty bathroom or whatever else. There's a way to go through your life where you where you want to keep people out. But that's just that's just born out of you feeling threatened and, and being insecure like that's that. You've got a problem. If you wake up in the morning going, how do I make sure I look like I know something nobody else knows that you, that's sad. I'm so sorry you weren't hugged enough or something, but that's that's messed up, man. Let people in. The more the merrier. Share the wealth. Share the information. Let people know what's going on. This is what we do. It's a simple process. Open source ideas, man. Let people have access. So, yeah, bottom line, do I feel imposter syndrome? Have I ever felt it? Sure. Can anybody feel it? I think absolutely. Cause I think unfortunately people walk around trying to, uh, promote themselves at the expense of others. So that results in this, but, uh, yeah, Harkness tables. They're just tables. Everybody, they are just tables. Anyhow, that's all for this week. As always, I am not an expert. I am just a guy trying to figure out the world he lives in and hopefully leave it a slightly better place than he found it. So with that in mind, I wish everyone peace and love.